Hey, this is Jared Wellman. I'm the lead pastor at Tate Springs, and this is our podcast. God is telling a story of hope and redemption. Hope and redemption. Redemption that can only be found through Jesus Christ. I hope that this is a blessing and inspires you to discover your part in God's story. Good morning. Welcome to, uh, to Tate Springs Super Bowl Sunday. The uh, Kansas City Taylor Swifts are probably going to win today. I don't know how the NFL would not let that happen because there are so many more fans this year than ever in the history of the NFL. Uh, nevertheless, go ahead and take your copy of God's Word with me to, and turn to the book of Romans, Romans chapter 12. And uh, this Kids Church sign came up real quick just to, be, uh, to clarify. There is no Kids Church today. We have Lord's Supper. And so uh, we wanted to stay in here as a church family. And, uh, and so if you have little... Wiggly ones, we're uh, cognizant of that. I have shaved off uh, 27 seconds of my sermon just to, to help you out. Uh, we're going to talk today about living sacrificially. Another word for that might be selflessly. And, uh, and so as you're finding Romans 12, I, I was reminded of uh, this really small, insignificant story from when I was, uh, when I was younger. I, I don't, can't remember if I was, uh, how young I was, let's say a teenager. And uh, and my mom had taken us to get our eyes checked. And, uh, and I didn't need, I wear contacts now, but I didn't need them at the time. But I remember my brother was the first of us to get glasses. And so he went, he got his eyes checked, and, and then he put his glasses on and he came in and we were standing in my grandmother, we called her Nani, we were standing in Nani's kitchen. And Jonathan, my older brother, put on his glasses and looked up and he said, whoa. And he said, Nani, did you know you have a shelf above your cabinets? And she's like, yes. He's like, whoa, look at all that stuff on there. She's like, yeah. And he's like, and look how dusty it is. <laughs> and uh, I don't, no one else, I don't know why I remember that, but I just remember everyone laughing when that happened. And the reason I bring that up is because I think it illustrates the main tension in today's text, which is really the idea of when we take our Christian, our Christian spectacles, we take our Christian glasses, our Christian contacts, we put them on, and we begin to see the world, as we've talked about in this series, the way it was intended to be seen. But here's what happens when you do that. You look around and you say, whoa, look at all of this stuff happening. And then you also say, look at all of the dust. Look at all of the dirt. And, and what we can be tempted to do if we're not careful as followers of Jesus who see the world in reality is this, is we can walk around doing a lot of viewing, but not a lot of doing. We can walk around doing a lot of acknowledging the dust, but the question before us this morning is this, what are we going to do about all the dust that we see in the world? What are we going to do about all of the dirt that we see in the world? Well, Paul addresses this in Romans 12. Look with me at verses one and two there. He begins by talking about the mind and the body. Look with me at verse two first. He says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. And so he talks about the mind not being conformed to Rome, either to ancient Rome for Christians living in this day or in modern Rome for Christians living today. And so the question is, is your mind being nurtured by modern day Rome? What you're viewing on social media, what you're viewing on the apps that you uh, use, the, the television that you watch, all the things that you consume, you produce what you consume. And so are you letting the world kind of change the prescription of the glasses that you're, that you're viewing the world through in such a way where it injures 
the reality that really exists. And so Paul says, don't be conformed by the world, but be transformed in your mind. And the way you do that are things like scripture and, and prayer and church attendance and wise counsel and D groups, all the things that we try to do here at Taste Springs. And so we also have the idea of the body in verse one. Therefore, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as what? A living and holy sacrifice, living sacrificially, acceptable to God, which is this, your spiritual service of worship. So today we are talking about a life that is an act of a spiritual service of worship. Your life, believe it or not, can be, can be a sacrifice of worship to the living God. Your life can be a sacrifice of worship to the living God. So the result of, uh, of Ro uh, Romans 12, 1 and 2 is this. It's not just, your Christian life is not just about avoiding sin. It's not just about trying to do good deeds and do good things. It's about becoming holy. It's about being set apart for God's purpose. It's about becoming agents of God's will in a world that so often is going in the opposite direction. This is your spiritual service and worship. And so here is today's sermon in a sentence. It is this. Christianity isn't just about the perspective of viewing things the right way. It is about the pursuit of doing things the right way. So we, we can do all the viewing that we want, but Paul's talking about doing. This morning I was flipping through uh, Facebook and I saw, and I don't want to pick on, it wasn't a church in this community. It was just a, a well-known church in, in the country. And, uh, and I saw that they were advertising their worship service for, for Christians to, to view it. But this is how they phrase it. They said, watch this experience. And I read it and I said, what? How do you watch an experience? You don't watch an experience, you experience an experience. And so we have this mindset in Christianity that Christianity is just about viewing. Even when it comes to doing, we're saying, let's watch other people do it. Let's just watch other people experience it. No, Paul's saying, get in the game. He's talking about uh, participating. And so Christianity isn't just about viewing things, it's about doing things. So Paul gives us three different ways to do this in this passage. The first one is this, that God has custom designed you with gifts, believe it or not, and he wants you to use them in service. And when you do, it's not just volunteering anymore. This is the beauty. A lot of times we'll call for volunteers to do this or volunteers to do that. We need volunteers in the nursery. We need volunteers for D, D now. We need volunteers for church camp. We need volunteers for for, to go on this mission trip. Listen, when you are a Christian who is doing Christian things, you're not just volunteering anymore. And Paul has a remarkable insight for us here because you're stepping into the role that God has for you by your gifts in his story, as we like to say here at the church. So look with me at verses six, seven, and eight. And, uh, and let's go ahead and read um, those, those verses here because I just want us to see some of the the gifts that Paul lists here. He says, since we have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, each of us is to exercise them accordingly. There's prophecy according to the pur pur uh, proportion of his faith, service in his serving, he who teaches in his teaching, he who exhorts in his exhortation, he who gives with liberality, he who leads with diligence, he who shows mercy with cheerfulness. In other words, if you have this gift, then do the gift. That's what he means there. And so if you have the gift of teaching, then teach. And so we could sit here and we could focus on this, all, this, uh, all of the specifics of these, these gifts, the prophecy, the service, the teaching, exhortation, all these things. This isn't an exhaustive list of all the spiritual gifts that exist. There are others. 
But I want you to look at the word differ there in verse 6. Since we have gifts that differ, we could sit here and talk about the diversity of the gifts this morning, but I don't think that's Paul's point necessarily or primarily. It is a point, but I think his main point is this, not the diversity of the gifts, but the reality of the gifts. So he wants you to know that you have a spiritual, you have even, in fact, you have more than one, you have spiritual gifts. If you are a follower of Jesus, guess what? God has equipped you with some gifts. We spend time here at the church. We have a discovery workshop every month just about where we uh, have a test you can take. You can see what gifts God has given you. And then you can say, well, I, I have the gift of teaching. And then you come and you say, I would love to teach. And we talk to you about on-ramping you to teach a, a, a small group or something like that service. So you can help in different ways in the church. And so we always try to on-ramp you in, in different ways. But really what he's talking about here is that God has custom fitted you with gifts that make your life more than just volunteering for the kingdom. You are actually participating in the kingdom. And this is a really beautiful thing. How many of you remember that 2008 movie, Taken? You remember that? Liam Neeson, probably his most famous role. Some would argue Qui-Gon Jinn from Star Wars, but this was probably more uh, memorable. And, uh, and so in this, uh, he has the most memorable line probably in all of his movies. And, uh, and there's that scene, his daughter, Kim, she goes to Paris and he's a retired CIA agent and she is, she's kidnapped. It's a terrible thing that's happening. And so he's on the phone with her, guiding her through how to hide, what to do. And then he's having her describe everything. And then the, the guy who's kidnapping her picks up the phone. And what does he say? He says, I don't know who you are. I don't know what you want. If it is a ransom that you want, I want you to know, I do not have a lot of money. Here it comes. But what I do have is a particular set of skills, skills that I have developed over a long course of a career, skills that will make me a nightmare for people like you. And we're just watching. We're like, yes, go get him, Liam Neeson. <laughs> because he has this, these giftings that are particular to him. And we watch it and we're watching an experience, right? But here's what Paul's saying. As a follower of Jesus, you don't have to sit in the theater and just watch other people have gifts. God has equipped you with gifts in a real war, in a real battle for the kingdom of God in modern day Rome. And so this is what he's talking about here when he talks about all these different kinds of gifts. And so it wasn't a threat so much. It was a declaration when Neeson said that. And, and it's the same for us. And so just like his character was on a mission, we're on a mission too. But our mission is not one of retribution. It's one of restoration. We're looking at a broken world. And what we're doing is wanting to help this world find hope in Christ. And because of God's sovereignty, the background and the context of this in Romans 8, what this means is that God is not haphazard in dishing out these gifts. He didn't just have a bucket of gifts and just kind of like start throwing them out like he was in a, a St. Macy's Day parade where we're just picking up whatever piece of candy we want. No, he's saying, look, look at, look at John over there. John, I'm, I'm going to give you this gift and I'm, and I'm going to have you use it in this particular way. I'm, I'm going to give you this particular set of skills so that you can use it in, in, in this world for my kingdom. And again, what this means for you is great news because so often we are unmotivated to serve in the kingdom because we're, we feel like we're just volunteering. But the word volunteering divorces what God is doing from the context of the kingdom, and we are unmotivated to participate. And listen, some of us have never volunteered 
because we have to be voluntold instead, because we've missed out on the fact that we are actually not just watching an experience, but we get to be part of the movie. We get to be part of the story. And God wants to use you. And as, as I'm watching the story sometimes in, in Christianity, I feel like, man, we need more, we need more heroes in this. We need more, we need more stars in this. We need more people as part of this story because they're just not showing up. And so we're not just volunteering to reiterate, God has custom designed you with abilities and talents and using them in service for his kingdom is not just volunteering, it is stepping into the story that God has for you. Here's a second thing that we see here that Paul gives us when we're talking about not just viewing the world, but actually doing things for Christianity. And it's this, as followers of Jesus, we are called to an authentic love that doesn't just feel deeply, but acts decisively. We don't just want to feel things for people and have empathy. We want empathy. It's a lost art today, to be quite frank, because there are people at the top who show us that empathy doesn't matter, and we want to emulate that. Listen, scriptures want us to have empathy for people, but it's more than just feeling. It's actually acting, and so we're close to Valentine's Day. It's just a few days away. Guys, husbands, boyfriends, if you didn't remember, I'm giving you a heads up. Valentine's is a few days away, but let's talk about, let's talk about what Valentine's Day is about and compare it to what scripture has to say when it has to do with the idea of love. You see, we have been, our minds have been conformed by the world for how we understand love, and some of us don't even know it. And so some of us think that love is an accident. Some of us think that love is just a feeling, that love is just an emotion, that, that the stories that we watch, the Matthew McConaughey rom-coms where Cupid is just there and he shoots us in the rear end with an arrow and we fall in love with the first person we see, we think that's what love is. And so we think of love as chocolates and we think of love as flowers and we think of love in all these different kinds of ways. But what we see here in the scriptures is that love is actually something quite different. It is a choice. Now don't misunderstand this. This is very important. The scriptures present love as a choice. So in your marriage, I could, we could follow some rabbit trails here. In your marriage, if you feel like you're falling out of love, that's impossible. You don't fall out of love because you don't fall in love. You choose to love even when it's hard. And it's not just a choice you make once, it's a choice you make every day. So the scriptures show us that love is a choice. And Paul uses this word love here. The word he uses is that word agape, which refers to the selfless love, the sacrificial love, the unconditional love, the highest form of love. It's a love that it doesn't just feel, it's a love that does. And he extrapolates that in the rest of uh, verses 9 through 13. And the idea is that love is the pivot upon which all of the things and the content that we see in 9, 10, 11, 12, and 13 uh, 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 open and exist. And so, in other words, everything that he's going to read, let's just quickly go over. Look at verse 9. Let love be without hypocrisy, verse 9. Let love abhor what is evil, also verse 9. Let love be devoted to one another in brotherly love, giving preference to one another in honor, not lagging behind in diligence, rejoicing in hope, persevering in tribulation, devoted to prayer, contributing to the needs of the saints, practicing hospitality. All of those hinge and pivot on the idea of love. In other words, if you do not have love, and worse, if you don't understand what love is, then these things are going to be broken whenever you exhibit them in your life. Now, um, some time ago, having a, a family with four little ones, 
we realized, Amanda and I realized that our trash can was getting full really quickly. And, uh, and so if we were eating pizza, for example, and we had to throw away the pizza boxes, we would sometimes take an extra trash bag and we would hang it on the cabinet knob right beside our trash can. And we would throw things in there and, uh, and sometimes it would get a little heavy. And, and what we didn't realize is that was pulling the cabinet just a little bit down as the weight was there. And before long, we realized that, that was where we, keep the, it's where we keep the Tupperware dishes. And so we realized that whenever we opened that cabinet, the, the hinge started to kind of get loose a little bit. It would, st- it would start to come off a little bit. And so when you open that cabinet door, it wouldn't open right the right way. The pivot was broken. Paul's talking here about the idea that if we don't have the right foundation of love, the pivot point is going to be broken. And all the things he is calling us to do here is not going to be exhibited in our life. And so a broken hinge is quite frankly how a fallen Rome understands love. The way it's portrayed in the movies, the way it's portrayed in cinema, in novels, all the ways that love is portrayed with chocolates, roses, feelings, and flutterings, all these things, it's a broken hinge. And some are trying to open up love in their lives and the hinge is broken and so it's not being exhibited in the right way and it ends in so much brokenness. The kind of love that the scripture talks about is a love that acts. It's a love that gets down, get, gets down on its knees with a toolbox and it makes sure to fix what's broken. And so it's a love in action. It doesn't just feel, but it, but it acts. And so it, it sees a need and it meets a need. It, it sees a hurt and it heals it. It sees a wrong and it rights it. This is the kind of love that that Paul is portraying here in verses 9, 10, 11, 12, and 13. And so in verse 9, again, he talks about love without hypocrisy. Do you know where the idea of hypocrisy comes from? It's a Greek word that talks about actors. And so an actor would play various parts in a Greek play. And so he would put on a mask. He was called a hypocrite. He would put on a mask and then he would take it off and he'd come over here and then he'd put on a different mask and he would play a different part. And so they were called hypocrites. We took that word when people are acting one way and then acting a different way. And so love doesn't act that way. Love doesn't say something over here and then go behind and say something else. Love abhors what is evil. This is love and discernment, a love that uh, does not only, not only knows what it ought to do, but it also knows what it ought to reject. There's a confusion about love, that love is love, and, uh, and that everything can be love. Anything hurtful may be unloving, but sometimes love can hurt, for example. There are truths in the scripture that hurt, and the reason it hurts is because we're loving them. That's what he means when he says it bores what is evil. Verse 10, moving on, he illustrates love through the lens of family. He talks about being devoted to one another in brotherly love, which the word devoted there talks about familial affection. It indicates that the bonds we share in Christ should, should mirror the, the bonds that are closer and stronger than a healthy family. And then in 11, 12, and 13, he gives um, this metaphor of a sprinter, one who's running the race with everything in him. That's the kind of love that Christians ought to exhibit in this world. And the common denominator in all of this is sacrifice. It's selflessness. It's looking at others higher than you look at yourself. Paul is doing more than describing love here. He's actually prescribing it. And so in, uh, in hermeneutics or in theology, when you're, when you're reading the scriptures and you want to understand what the scriptures are telling you, there's, there are descriptions and then there are prescriptions. Descriptions tell you what the way things are. Prescriptions tell you the way things ought to be. So Paul is prescribing love here. He's saying this is the way love ought to look in your life. And so quite frankly, we can read this and we can say, okay, am I loving 
without hypocrisy? Am I abhorring what is evil? Am I devoted to my brothers and sisters in Christ in love? Am I giving preference to people in honor? Am I, am I not lagging behind in diligence? Am I fervent in the spirit? Am I serving the Lord? Look at your life, look at yourself in the mirror and say, is this the kind of love that I'm exhibiting or is the pivot point broken? Is the pivot point broken? Is the hinge off? And so when he gives us this, he wants us to understand what true love looks like. Being a Christian, you see, is more than merely believing in God. We believe in God, but God calls us to, to act that belief out. It's believing in his love so much that we become relentless practitioners of his love in this world. Our calling is to be the living, breathing examples of love that sticks closer than a family and honors others as the masterpieces they are in God's image even the people, and especially the people that are hard to love. In Christ's economy, love isn't just a noun, it's a verb that moves us to be fervent in spirit, serving the Lord with an energy that deeply impacts others. As followers of Jesus, we're called to an authentic love that doesn't just feel deeply, but acts decisively. Here's a third and final thing Paul gives us. He calls us to be peacemakers. Peacemakers, that's a key word here which means actively choosing the high road of grace, especially when we are tempted by the low road of revenge. How many of us are tempted so often by the low road of revenge? I've served in the SBC for a while. I'm often tempted by the low road of revenge. <laughs> so in the concluding version, uh, verses of Romans 12, Paul lays out a radical manifesto for us. A radical manifesto. He gives us a vision for how we are into, uh, to engage with the world, especially when we are faced with, with conflict. Once you look with me at verse 14, he says this, bless those who persecute you, bless and do not curse. Bless those who persecute you, bless them, don't curse them. That's difficult. He gives us a whole lot of these, rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Verse 16, be of the same mind toward one another. Do not be haughty in mind. Associate with the lowly. Don't be wise in your own estimation. By the way, if you have to tell someone you're smart, you're probably not. Verse 17, never pay back evil for evil to anyone. Respect what is right in the sight of all men. If possible, so far as it depends on you, be at peace with others. Be at peace with all men. And so he's not just talking about suggestions. He's, he's talking about being an agent of transformation because you yourself have been transformed, because you yourself are living sacrificially. And, and the, the idea of all, of all of those things we just read is this, being a peacemaker. Let me illustrate what he means by that. It's different than being a peacekeeper. There's some strobe lights going on back there. So disco party in the, in the baptistry. There's a difference between being a peacemaker and a peacekeeper. A peacemaker is someone who sees chaos, and what do they do? They try to bring the people together, and you actually have to work and put your hands in the engine of that. A peacekeeper sees the two parties and sees, okay, they're at odds with one another, but they're not fighting, so I'm just going to keep the peace. Let me tell you, that's not peace. There's a difference between peacekeeping and peacemaking. If you want a great illustration of this, just watch the movie Hotel Rwanda. 
and watch the U the United Nations officials who are there in Rwanda. And one of them actually says in the in the film, listen, I'm not a peacemaker, I'm a peacekeeper. In other words, what he's saying is I can't do anything about the situation here. That's not peace. Paul is telling us to do something about the situation, and this is where we get the idea of action. It's the common denominator in everything that Paul has been giving us in all of Romans 12. And so because God has been cultivating in you the idea of transformation, to, to transform your minds so that your bodies can be a living sacrifice for him with all the things that you do for him, the idea is this. He wants you and your life to cultivate the modern iteration of Rome for his kingdom. I want to illustrate this. So um, some years ago, a man and I had lived in Odessa for about six years. This is right about six years on the dot, actually. If you don't know anything about Odessa, Odessa is brown and it is dry. And uh, there's not a lot of grass in Odessa. And I'm not kidding you. When we would come back for the spring, I had sensory overload. And we went from Tyler, which is like Rose capital of the, of the, of the state, to Odessa, which is like death. And so we, uh, we bought a house out there. And it didn't really have a backyard, it had a side yard. And I want to show you a picture of what that, of what that side yard looked like when we bought it. I'm not, I mean, this, is, this was our house, and so this is the side of the house. And it was on a corner lot. We bought it because we loved the size of the yard, but we looked back there and we said, yikes, that is a, not a good situation. And so we lived in the house like that uh, for a good year or two, and then we decided one day, you know what, let's cultivate that thing. And so let's show the next picture. And so we bought a tiller and we just went over that, that yard a good two or three times. And you can still see there's still some weeds and grass there uh, that were just hard to uproot. And so we were working on this and cultivating it and cultivating it and cultivating it. And let me tell you, it's like cultivating concrete. <laughs> so then we bought about seven or eight pallets of grass and we laid the grass out. This is uh, the next slide. So we laid the grass out, ignore that brown up by the house. We had put a, a porch there, but we laid out and it's, we spent like two or three days laying out all of this sod. And then we began to water it. And let me show you what happened after we did that. It turned into a beautiful yard and we were able to enjoy it. And uh, man, it was a great experience. This, this backside yard, yard of ours went from being a desert to, uh, to having green lush grass. Let me tell you, that window right there was our office. And I would sit there, I was working on my dissertation at the time, and I would look out that window and I would look at the, the desert and I would just view it. And I'd say, man, there's a lot of dust out there. There's a lot of dirt out there. Then I'll just go back to writing about God. Then I'd look out there, man, there's a lot of dirt out there. Look at all that dust. And I'd go back to thinking about God. And then, uh, and then one day, a man and I said, well, we should do something about that. So we went and we got a tiller. We started doing stuff. And you can see the result of doing versus just viewing. Listen, so often in life, we do a lot of viewing, but we do not do a lot of doing. God is challenging us today to not just know stuff and not just think about stuff, not just think about God and and view the world through a Christian lens, but he wants us to live in such a way where we are acting out in this world for the kingdom of God. Christianity is not just about the perspective of viewing things the right way, but the pursuit of doing things the right way. And he's calling us to live sacrificially. This is, this is the idea here. 
And so it's a selfless life because there's going to be a lot of people who slap you on one cheek and you're going to want to slap them on the other. There's people who hurt us, people who subvert us, people who undermine us. And God calls us to a radical sense of selflessness here. I was really proud yesterday. I was coaching my daughter's basketball game and Hannah had a, a fast break. She got the ball and she was running in front of everyone and she had a free shot. And I was just like, well, she's, this is going to be a really cool finish to this play. But you know what she did in, the, in that moment? She passed the ball. It wasn't what I would have done. I would have taken the shot. She passed the ball. And I thought, man, that was incredibly selfless of her. She shared the ball with her teammate. She, she's what you would call a pass-first point guard. And I think a lot of us sometimes, we're not pass-first point guards in the world. We're always, thinking, we're always thinking about our own shots, our own points. But Romans chapter 12 is saying, no, you look around the court of life and you try to find ways to set up your teammates, to find those who are on the margins, who may not get some shots, and you find ways to encourage them and help them in their life. You see, all this is on the foundation of, uh, of what Jesus has done for us. And so you may be sitting here thinking, well, how, how do I do this? What's, the, what's the, the propelling point for this, Pastor Jared? Well, it's the cross. When Jesus died on the cross for you and your sins, he did that sacrificially and selflessly so that your mind could be transformed and your body could become a living sacrifice for him in the world to be an agent of transformation. So in the shadow of the cross, we find the strength to live sacrificially, following the footsteps of the one who sacrificed everything for us. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to participate in something that may not seem like you're doing a lot, but let me tell you, what we're about to participate in the Lord's Supper is actually one of the most subversive things you can do to the nation of Rome. Because when the Romans look in and they see what we're doing here, in the ancient Rome, they would accuse your ancient brothers and sisters in Christ as cannibals. They would accuse them as participating in an incest relationship because we would call one another brothers and sisters. They would uh, accuse us of cannibalism because we were talking about eating and drinking the body and blood of Christ. And it's because they have the wrong glasses on. But listen, at this table, the Lord's, the Lord's supper table, when you sit here, you're invited to the best seat in the house. And what you're doing is you're declaring that the cross is real, that the resurrection is real, and that you're part of a kingdom that is outside and beyond this world. And so that's how we're going to respond to Romans chapter 12 today. So I'm going to invite our deacons and ushers to come forward to help in this. And so as they're doing so, I want to get, just give you a, uh, just a small overview of, of what we're doing here. The Lord's Supper. Um, this, is an, this is something that we do often, and uh, it is reserved for people who confess Jesus as Lord. Now, there's a whole lot of different ways to do this in various churches. I'm not going to get into all the theology of it, but I do want you to know this, that if you're not a member of this church, you are free to participate in this. Uh, we just ask that between you and the Lord, we're offering this. It's the Lord's table, not Taste Springs' table. We just ask you between you and the Lord that you are a follower of Jesus. We would even ask that you have been baptized after salvation by immersion. We would ask that you are part of a, of a church, that you are a member of a church. Now listen, if you're a prospect here and you've been visiting and you're a member of another church and you've been coming here, that's fine too. We just ask that you're not living in unrepentant sin. 
And so if all those things, if you can in your heart check that with the Lord, then this is an opportunity for you. If you're outside of the bounds of that, then this is prompted for you to start thinking about your relationship with the Lord because God has a place for you at this table. He wants you to, to be here. He has given his life. Jesus has given his life so that you can participate in this and so many other things. As our deacons are passing out the elements, I want to read the passage. And I just want to say a couple of words about it because I think it's just such a beautiful passage and I can never get over it. So Paul is writing to the church in Corinth, a sister church of us, thousands of years ago. And he's passed on these instructions for us. And so we're still participating in, in this tradition from all these years ago. And he says, I received from the Lord. Paul receives this from the Lord. And he delivers it to them. That the Lord Jesus, in the night in which he was betrayed, he took bread. So on the night that Jesus knew he was about to be betrayed by someone that sat at the table with him, he took bread. And then he gave thanks and he broke that bread. He ripped it apart. And then he, he held that bread in his hands and he, and he showed it. He showed it to his disciples and he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And he shows them the eating of the bread. And in the same way, he took the cup also after supper and he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. We talked about covenants last year. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and you drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Now he also says that anyone who eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner shall be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. This is why we offer the instructions we just gave a few minutes ago, because we feel it is our responsibility to offer this to you, but also to make sure that you're being thoughtful about this, that you're not flippantly or, or haphazardly participating in this. And so what we want to do before uh, we partake of this together is we just want to take a few moments of silence and, um, and just ask you to bow your heads and to quietly just have a few moments with the Lord. And as you're doing that, maybe you have some unconfessed sin in your life. Maybe there's some things that you've really not, you've come to church today, it's been a busy week, and there's just some things you just need to, to think about. Spend just a few moments talking to the Lord about it. Maybe there's a broken relationship you need to just pray about being a peacemaker in that. Father, we um, come to your table this morning. We are so grateful, Lord, that you've created the table, you gave us the elements, and then that you've given us a seat at it. Lord, we come to you knowing we are broken, knowing we are fallen, and knowing that apart from your grace, we have no hope. So as we participate in this, uh, this institution today, Lord, we... We not only thank you for it, but Lord, we make a declaration, Lord, that we are followers of Jesus Christ. That we do not want to be conformed to this world, but we want to be transformed in the renewing of our minds and that we want our bodies to be a living sacrifice for you. So Lord, help us to think very thoughtfully about this and that it would be used to inspire us as we leave this place here in a few minutes. Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening. 
At Tate Springs, we believe God is telling a story of redemption that can only be found in Jesus Christ. If you'd like more information on how you can have that kind of a relationship, please visit tatesprings.com and let us know. We love you and want to help you discover your part in God's story.